Yeah, this makes me so nervous because my waveforms are so tiny. And I'm looking at it and my levels are where they should be. But the waveform that's being recorded is like minuscule. So it'll be, f I'm just like nervous that there's going to be something wrong with the volume. But it, it'll be fine. Hello, and welcome to Entertaining the Idea, episode number 404. This is the podcast where we discuss the creative process from the perspectives of both generating and consuming content. I am one half of your co-hosting team, J-Mac, and I'm joined by my other good half. Hey, it's Anthony Hudax. Anthony Hudax. I'm the good half, uh, yeah, huh? Yeah, you know, I, I like to butter up. My my co-host and any and all the guests that we have on here, man, I know how to work it, man. I got to make you feel good, build up that confidence like in you. No, not not that you need that. Man. I like you're, it. You're you're a, you're a walking ball of confidence. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's all front. I just thought of it as like the the good twin, evil twin Ooh. thing. Like you would be the one with the goatee. I would be the one that's like clean shaven until you shave your goatee, and then like we're wrestling. Like shoot him, and then you know which is the good, which is the bad. Well, I mean, that whole thing. I guess though you were the one who had the long hair, so I guess that could be the evil one, and I could be the clean shaven one. That's true. I always had. I still was giving myself haircuts through the pandemic, even if they look bad. I still was trying to stay as high and tight as possible. That's true. You are the more clean shaven of the two of us. I've I have rarely seen you with even like stubble. Oh, uh, like you tend to like keep keep shaved pretty. Pretty tight. Like, I've never seen you grow a beard, I guess is well, what I should say. I've never seen you grow a beard. I've never seen you had long hair. Well, okay, well, I've never had long hair. The longest I've ever had it is just like, you know, a big mess, but not like growing past my ears or anything like that. I, I And it's, uh, yeah, the last time I had long hair was probably a bowl cut when I was in grade school. So that's probably the longest it's been. <laughs> like it. I like it. I, d I have grown in beards occasionally, and I did do it in the very beginning of the pandemic. I did it through like maybe like May, June in 2020. Uh, and I, I actually can grow a decent beard. Like it grows pretty quick. Like I have to shave like twice a week at least if I don't want to look like sort of in that in-between kind of hobo look. And the kind that I'm rocking yeah, right a little now. bit. But you got, you got the nice kind of like six o'clock shadow. It's a little more than a five o'clock, but... You know, but you're not quite into that full midnight look where you just look just you know disheveled and bloodshot <laughs> eyes kind of look. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I have done it occasionally, and then I, at sometimes like the thing is I don't like about growing a beard is I don't mind how it looks, but then it gets so itchy, and then you have to wait that like yeah. three to four week period to get past that real real itchy part. And then it kind of settles in and then it's not as itchy and it kind of, cause it gets in a little longer, the oils are getting there. And I, and I've gotten to that point and I did that over the pandemic in the beginning. And I thought about, it, I was like, okay, well I'm getting to this point where I almost feel like I need like, you know, conditioner for it or something like that. But, oh yeah, the beard oil. Yeah. Yeah. But I, and I looked all into it and then I was like, you know what? I don't know if I really want to do this. Do I want to commit to that and pay for this and then just have it sit on my shelf for the next three years and not actually use it? So then I, I decided against it. I ended up shaving. My wife likes it better when I'm a little more clean shaven. So uh, I went back to uh, my, you know, baby soft, smooth skin uh, after that. And I try to keep up with it. Anyway. This has been Beard Talk with John and Anthony. <laughs> 
I love how that segue goes from uh, me introducing you as the good half to then talking about goatees and evil twins and then me talking about you having long hair to me being the beard, not having a beard. I don't know when. Uh, tangents they they just can they can run wild on us uh so anyway let's get let's uh focus in here a little bit uh it's been a little bit since you and i recorded not that anybody might really notice this when these all get released it might just be all back to back Uh, i'm still working on catching up a little bit but you know what once these people are listening to it that's all that matters uh whether it is the you know tomorrow or if it's uh five months from now as long as they're listening that's all that matters and we try to keep this a nice little potpourri uh or a very evergreen uh potpourri what am i talking about evergreen kind of uh topic so anyway we're here at 404 um tony uh hopefully we don't burn down the place that you know we were talking about in the pre-show a little bit <laughs> we both tony's got some yeah. new gear uh yeah, the- he's got a new microphone <laughs> hopefully this sounds okay yeah new microphone new setup new New studio, I guess, I, I, really. Yeah. Got a new house, so everything is brand new. Got got my office set up the way I want it to, so it's. I got my my monitors in my bookshelf, so I just. I, I love looking at your uh, your background. You got your guitars up on the wall already, so I, I got some nice visuals yeah. to look past you and see. Oh, guitars! Guitars. I got my cowboy hats over here. It, it, I got to be honest, it's a little better than looking at your uh, your your punching bag that you've had hanging in the background yeah, the heavy bag. for the past. <laughs> I know. Now we have a seasons. garage. We can keep everything I in know, the garage you have a, now. A dedicated room for your, your workout equipment in the garage. Nice, big, and spacious. So I know uh, it's great. Yeah. yeah, it looks good. It's an official office. I love it. I'm still in my little mobile workstation here down on my kitchen table. But uh, but uh yeah. goals life goals i want to get there to get put on some some life goals. some uh yeah. some nice background art for my podcast host so uh well congratulations yeah. on your new home i did see it so it looks great and it's awesome Thank it's exciting you. i guess that's almost as big news as you getting a new microphone for this podcast yeah that's pretty much it it's it's there's like getting a new microphone and then buying a house like those that's like that's the order that's what i was really excited for that it goes in Yes. I was super excited. I was even, I was like, oh, you, you, you buried the lead of not telling me you got a new microphone for our podcast show. And while I was touring your house and now, you know, now I'm super psyched about it. Well, I'll tell you this. The reason I didn't mention it was because I didn't know when the, the boom arm was coming in. So I didn't know if I was going to get to use it because I didn't want to, I didn't have a stand okay. for it. I'd gotten the microphone, but then I needed to have the, the whole microphone didn't come with its own little stand. Amateur. It did, but it was a stupid little stand. It was oh, too yeah. low. So I didn't have a... The only thing I would have done is I would have had it in my stand-up like, thing. And then I would have just been sitting there like I'm doing like a five-minute set. With oh, oh you're, when you host your, uh, your stand-up uh, routines, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe that made you feel comfortable. You know, like, it kind of gets you back to, you know, your zone of being uh, up on stage and everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Maybe we should try it. We don't know what Tony's audio is actually going to sound like uh, until he sends the file to me and I start editing it. So I feel like we're living in the era of 35 millimeter film and film directors don't actually know what's being shot on their their film stock. And then they won't know until they actually get it developed in an editing bay, which I know is a David Fincher pet peeve why he can't stand and he always wants to go digital. So uh, that's where I feel like we are. I feel like we're kind of David Fincher pre-digital video uh, filmmaking. I have to say, to not go on too long of a tangent, but I really do not understand how they made films back in the day. Yeah, right? Um, cause I remember, I don't know if you had to do this when you were going through film school, but did you ever have to, uh, load a camera mag 
in a like blind like load of camera yeah. mag where you put your I think so i feel like i did it once for those of you who don't know what this is there's this bag and what you have to do is you put the unexposed film in the bag and then you put uh the the film magazine that you're going to run through the camera in there too and you have to do it without looking at anything like you have to just do it by feel because if you expose it, it exposes the film to light and then it ruins it. So I remember having to do that so many times in film school, just like loading that yeah. over and over again. And then you would have to do it. And then when we shot our one uh, student film, this uh, was directed by a kid by the name of Dave Zarenkevich, uh called Reasons. And I was the cinematographer. And the other thing that I didn't realize is that when you pull your eye away from the viewfinder, it exposes mm-hmm. light from the other side. Um, which, once I realized that, worked out great for another shot we were doing in the film that was like kind of like a dream sequence, so I could kind of like keep pulling my head away yeah, from it. A little bit so of light like leaks uh, coming in there. Nice. Yeah. But I had, I had no idea. And it was one of those things where I can't even fathom how people made movies back in the day when you were just like, well, I hope we got it. You know, like checking the gate really meant something. Like, yeah, well, that that's what I, I I read stories about David Fincher freaking out at cinematographers when something didn't come out as they said it would and stuff like that. Like it was, he hates it. And I, so, yeah, life in an analog world, man. Get it? I don't get it. It's it's difficult. It's difficult. But uh, but we're in this new digital era, so uh, we don't have to worry about those things anymore, even though I do love the look of film. So I'm hoping they keep the tradition alive. All right. Well, anyway, even though we've had like three different topic discussions, I did want to still have an opening question here. And this one is pretty easy. So um, sure. are you currently more into TV shows or movies? What are you watching a lot more of and kind of like why? I right now I'm, I'm more into television shows mainly because there's so much that I have to catch up on. Not to go down what we're going to talk about later, but um, I just okay. started Ozarks. Um, so I end up watching. Uh, I just started Ozarks, and I end up watching an episode or two um, in the morning as I'm exercising. Um, so I'll be like lifting or whatever, and then I'm watching uh, Ozarks. So I'm getting through it fairly rapidly. But I find it so much easier to do than, like, watching a movie. And I've actually gotten to the point where, like, sitting down and watching a movie is a little, like, ooh, do I really want to dedicate, you know, two and a half hours to this? But then, you know, I'll watch, like, three or four episodes of an hour long in a row. So it's, it's you know, it doesn't make any sense, but it yeah. makes sense to me. I, I I have to believe a common, common choice or dichotomy that people, when they're looking between watching a movie or a television, will have more TV than you would whatever the run is, but you'll still choose the TV show. There's just something yeah. psychological, I think, about the idea that it's broken up into, say, small pieces. Well, I also think it's the way, to talk a little like craft-wise, I think it's also the way that television shows are set up. Like when you're doing, when you're watching a movie, obviously you have, for the most part, to be super general. Like you're going to have that quick first 10, 20 minutes of the movie that's setting everything up and you're like exploring the world and really like hooks you into the story. And then for most movies, you have a lull for about 
30 minutes or so as they get the business of things that need to get explained to the audience to like really propel us into the like second half of the movie. Like as all that gets flushed out and you really need someone like some very creative writing and very creative directing to make that interesting. But a lot of movies hit that lull in that, you know, second act area that's just sort of like, okay, this is all the stuff you have to know. The part of, like, the, when you're telling a story that you're just kind of like, okay, what you got to understand is, like, Bob's an asshole, all right? So, and then you get to pay it off at the end. But when you're doing a television show, you have to hit the different beats. Like, you're hitting the beats so much faster that when you have those scenes that you're trying to set up that information, they're so much quicker. And there's so much less dead space that you're you're hitting all those like peaks and valleys so much faster that it keeps you more engaged than like watching a movie that's a more immersive experience. Like I just watched uh, the Batman recently, and I'm not saying that the Batman is more engaging or less engaging than like an episode of Breaking Bad, but like I felt like that movie was very slow, but like it probably was just as you know engaging as any like breaking bad episode i watched or anything like that and i mean that in the best way not in the way that i'm like shitting on the batman but i found it like slow because you know yeah well for me and you're you're kind of hit a little bit on it with the batman there so i'm i'm more into movies right now because it's almost the opposite of it's for it's almost the same reason that you said you're into TV shows. I'm sort of starting to get exhausted by the amount of television that is out there and the amount of shows that everybody's talking about. And like, I feel like I should watch and like, I'm interested because I do like the word of mouth and I do trust a lot of the people I hear this stuff from or the sources that I see talking about it. And there's some buzz around shows and, you know, and I'm pretty attuned to seeing a show and understanding if I'm probably going to like it or there's a chance I could like it rather than there's also other shows that I can tell that are buzzy. And I'm like, I absolutely will not like that show. And I'm not even going to give it the time of day. And sometimes yeah. like uh, Emily, she'll hear about a show and you know, same thing here in the budge. Like I'll check it out. I want to check it out. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. You can watch it and let me know. And then I'll kind of give her a kind of cliff notes of what I think it's going to be about or how it's going to go. And then she'll come back and be like, yeah, it's exactly how you said. And I was like, okay, cool. So she's like, you're good. So I do feel good about that. And I think that's part of it. And, and but there's just so much television and like, I have a list of shows I want to get through. And I, I remember last year, a lot of the stuff we were talking about were shows I was starting to check off the list, like the Doom Patrol, the boys and so forth. And I've done that and it was great, but the, well, yeah. the still the problem with that is that they're still going and they both just came out with their new seasons recently. Like I, I think um, Doom Patrol was a little earlier in the year and now the boys just came out. So like, it's not even now me trying to catch up on another show that I want to watch that I've heard about and has kind of been on my list. I now have to also watch these season threes of the shows I do like, but it's just so much content to watch and keep track of and follow and get invested in. Even the shows that I've raved about, like the doom patrol was so amazing and I'm going to get back into it, but I have to really be prepared and like, okay, I'm going to dive in and just do this. And rather than having four shows going at once, I have to be like one show at a time, maybe two and kind of make it my way. What I'm getting to with the Batman, though, the flip side of that is that I am watching more movies, but the problem is that I'm also noticing that some movies are really long. The Batman is three hours. I'm also trying to get myself through yeah. Dune, another three-hour yeah. movie, which 
Dune was fine. And I knew that I've heard it's a long book and it's a long movie, the original, all that. So I was like kind of prepared for that. When I checked out the runtime of the Batman yeah. was three plus hours. I was like, I gotta, I gotta mentally prepare for that one as well. So it's like, I, I'm, I'm hit from all sides of just exhaustion from the amount of content that's out there right now. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I think directors now have like, I remember it being like a kiss of death for a movie to be like, right two and a half hours like a movie was like two and a half hours yeah. people were like who's gonna go see that why would you ever and even when you got past two hours people would be like what are, what are you even talking about to it um and now it's like movies clocking in over three aren't even that big of a deal anymore like that's a just a superhero movie that you know is three hours and is fairly immersive for three hours you have you know all the villains and stuff like that in it that you got to get set up but yeah, there was um the the difficult part there and I'm not against in the the general idea of having 3-hour movies and think that that's a bad idea. I'm just at a life phase right now where I don't have that extra time anymore to just sit down and watch a 3-hour movie, which is part of why my frustration is and it's not that I have a problem with them creatively trying to do that. Like if I was in my early twenties and having all this extra free time or in high school when like all I did was just devour movies over the weekends and stuff, I'd be all for it. And I'd be like sitting down and let's watch this and let's go. You know, I had a lot more free time in high school and college and, and in my twenties where now it's like, I have a kid I have, I'm trying to do, I have my, my day job. I have like all these other projects that I'm working on and I still want to watch all this stuff because it informs how stuff that I create and, you know, how I, and things I want to take and try to understand how people sure. are creating other things. So I want to watch all this stuff, read all this stuff. So that, but fitting in three hours of that is very, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is true. And it's harder when you're at a, when you're, I think our age and you, you're sitting at home because there's a, you have to get immersed mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. world, but then there's also a million things calling your attention. You know, even if you just like, hear like a buzzing of one of your appliances and you're like ah i should have gotten i should get that taken care of is this gonna like and then you're like out of a movie so i get that but and i'm also not against i mean i'm not that's the other problem too it's like i've got that add lifestyle too of just like that itch to check your phone every so often but i like these especially these movies i do want to like give them their their due attention and focus and just actually sit down and get that immersive feeling where that is with TV. Like there is immersive feeling, but it's in a different way and having it chopped up into more bite-sized ways, bite-sized being like an hour, uh, but still compared to a three hour movie, it's the same thing where I could spend my Saturday night. I could have the three hours to do it, but it's like, well, I can sit and watch three hour episodes, but not that at least in the, in the middle, there's kind of an act break. And then I can, have five minutes of just checking my phone or something where for three straight hours of film, I am just have to be, I want to be locked in on it and not doing it. Now, the flip side of that is I have also started just breaking movies down into chapters almost and just on living with the understanding that that's the only way I'm going to watch this is if I watch it in like three segments rather than one full swing. And we talked about this, about the justice league, the Zack Schneider cut where it took me like three or four viewings to watch that four hour movie. And I just start, I'm starting to do that thing where it's like, I'm just looking at movies as books as well. And just finding their, I'm going to watch them almost in chapters. And I still have this, a bit of a way of being able to just throw myself back into it. So sort of like you do with a book it might not be the best viewing experience that I prefer with a, you know, a theatrical film, but it's, it's where I'm at and it's where we are. So, yeah. 
Got no problems with that. The movies that aren't that long, that's the nice thing I do like about movies is get to watch it and then be done with that story and I move on. And that is though actually what I probably should have started off with why I do like watching movies more is because they wrap up and that's it. Even if they're in like a trilogy or something, you can still kind of get through them fairly quickly, which is what I've been doing. And so I've been just kind of, I actually been watching a whole lot more movies than I have in TV because of that big reason. And I just been like, I have so many movies I always still want to see and I can watch through streaming or buying them. And also movies I haven't seen in a while. I'm less like, ah, that's the best part of movies, like revisiting them and, you know, checking them out again. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, with TV shows, I think I tend to pick them up once they're hitting their last runs. Like I know that Ozark just did their last season. So I'm like, all right, I'm safe to watch this because I know it's going to, complete however it's done and sometimes i won't watch a show just because i know it got canceled because i'm like oh well they're not gonna wrap anything up so what am i gonna do be frustrated with everyone else yeah we do that a lot too that uh, it's a good way to do it because then you can actually at least commit to it and just say i'm gonna binge all six seasons and then just be done with this rather than this where i'm kind of caught with the doom patrol and the boys and a couple other shows where i'm actually in it Uh, it is a kind of a nicer way to kind of wrap it all up and be focused on one show. So let's move that on into our watching segment. What a perfect segue of an opening question though, right into our next, uh, our next section here. So Tony, what have you been watching? I know it's been a little bit since we've talked, so we could have a lot, but what do you got on the top of your list? I'll say, you know, the one that jumped right to the top of my list is last night. Um, we watched uncharted which is the, for those who don't know, it's it's based on the video game. It stars Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, and they set off on this worldwide okay. Indiana Jones-esque adventure to find Magellan's lost gold. So it's, it's a lot, a lot of fun. And my daughter, we had seen a, a stand at one of the stores that had the Uncharted because it just came out on Blu-ray and DVD and everything like that. And... She was like, oh, I really wanted to see that. And I was like, that should be coming out pretty soon. Then we just bought it on Amazon Prime. Um, And it was a lot of fun. Tom Holland, you know, right now there doesn't seem to be a lot of people that can, who are young, that can carry an action movie. Um, I know that that Edgerton um, is, is one of them that's been doing like, you know, Robin Hood and the Kingsman. Uh, Taron Edgerton, and then, um, you know, but Tom Holland, very much in this movie, was able to, like, effortlessly step into a new-ish type of action hero. Like, it's the action hero that we're familiar with. It's the sort of all shucks, you know, like, man-child type of thing. But he has this, like earnestness and naivete that he like brings into the roles which is you know why he makes such a good spider-man um he but he's able to do that and the humor and to have all those like just little moments that are fun and make action movies action movie-y um but he, he did a really nice job i think he's actually gonna be a fairly good action comedy like action star if he wants to do that 
So that brings up like a great point and a couple questions I have. So first off, my, my big question kind of with him is that, so I've just actually gotten all caught up on the Spider-Man uh, versions that he's been in uh, recently. So I, I just actually caught, I saw Homecoming a while ago, but then I just saw it again like two months ago. And then I saw um, No Way Home and then the most recent one. Uh, uh, I can't believe I can't remember. Homecoming Far From Home and No Way Home. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll put them in the show notes. Every, you, you can look it up. You can figure it out. The third oh, yeah, one with um, Doctor Strange. Uh, I, he was, I, honestly, it kept getting right, better. I, I loved home. all three of those movies, and he is absolutely fantastic. Like He nails the the Spider-Man, Peter Parker ethos like perfectly of that nervous, naive guy, but very um, has the great heart but then gets in and over his head and just has that great balance without having to be very heavy that was some of the other one like i know the andrew garfield one was a little more heavier and then i loved how they incorporated them in the third one so not getting that my point is i was curious though how he was going to translate that into something else that's a completely different property especially even more action oriented in the sense of a more traditional action star kind of role in a sense like i'm not familiar with the uncharted one so i don't know what the the balance, like what the character is even like, but I was just curious, is he just going to bring that same thing to it? And is it kind of the you know, one note sort of guy? Cause that's honestly what the trailers sort of feel like a little bit, but I was just curious if there was a, a different level there that maybe I'm not capturing from not seeing the whole movie. Oh yeah. He definitely has this more, like he brings more of a maturity to like this than I've, I've seen out of the Spider-Man movies. Like he, um, excuse me. I don't know too much about the Uncharted series as far as a video game. I'm not a gamer. I don't like do a lot of those. Like, <laughs> not not that that's two of us. Not, neither one of us are gamers, and so and I know that that's a huge entertainment like black hole for me because I just don't know anything about it. I know enough to like say, oh, I know that Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption Two are a thing, and Call of Duty. Like, but I don't really know too much about it (laughs) we just throw titles out there (laughs) um so i can't say how true he was to the character as portrayed in the video games i will say you know the way he played it from my eyes is he had a he had a very um sophisticated way of being like he was a bartender and he knew like all this like history of like the drinks and he's able to like do the flips and the things and do all the like the flourishes that make the drink look cool and then he's also like rattling off facts so like when he has something he the way they wrote wrote the character and the way he played it very well is when he had the history and he had the thing that he could practice and knew over and over again he had this ultra confidence with it when it was something happening to him for the first time and he was like new, like when he gets thrown into this more adventure world that he's not a part of, he kind of gets drawn into it. He's very naive and he's very like trusting and he like, it's very interesting the way they, they, they played it and it played right to his strengths. I could see him very much playing a much more sophisticated you know, version of the character that he's been doing. Um, but I also could see him getting a lot of mileage out of the, just being the slightly more mature man child. Like, 
if that makes sense. Like, he's not nearly as serious as, like, Mark Wahlberg is in the movie. Like, Mark Wahlberg has a seriousness to him, but even he's, you know, grown so much as an actor and is competent enough as an actor that he doesn't have, like, he's not, he doesn't have the edge that he has in The Departed. Like, he's softer, he's much more approachable, but he's also, like, playing the guy that's, like, you know, got it, sorry. And he's shown his range with, he's done comedic before, and he's done kind of the blur, because he's obviously done, like, uh, uh, um, what's the one with Will Farrell where they're the buddy cops? Oh, the uh, other guys, yeah. The other guys, which is kind of the more much more just straight comedy, but he's sort of the straight guy in the comedy. And he's the straight guy But then he's also done, too, yeah. Yeah, but then he's also done Pain and Gain, where they just play up the, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, absurdity, probably. If that's, yeah. Yes, yes. That, the absurdity of the, the characters and the situations where he's playing it straight, but they he has that little bit of um, kind of self-understanding to make it funny, though, because they're so serious about it, but... The situation is so absurd. So, but he he plays that. But it's a hard. That's a hard angle to play. Like you have to have that yeah. just that deaf touch. Obviously, The Rock has that as well. And you know, it's interesting though. And it, it, the other part of this that I just thought about while you're kind of talking about how he's playing this character and stuff, and is is this idea of what a action hero is nowadays is different than what it was growing up in like the 80s and 90s, where there's just these hardcore macho guys that would go in and they're like the one guy who can like do all this stuff and save the day where now there's you have to be naive or you have to and also have like sort of a kind of quick wit or funny side to you a bit that like you think about the Chris Pratt's the the rocks Mark Wahlberg falls into that and it seems like Tom Holland's kind of playing that line too where you're not just this straight you know beefed up you know have this funny quirky personality to yourself too where it's this i know i don't think it's always man child but i understand like the idea you're trying to talk about there yeah and and man child might not be the right word but i think it's the it's the action hero that i really think that bruce willis's role in die hard really brought into the light like he he was very much that like macho guy like he was a guy's guy like he was gonna like that's a good point he was a cap <laughs> and he's gonna do these things and like but he was also like you know uh, he was he was vulnerable he was out of his depth like like the whole beginning of that movie he's like i know what i'm supposed to do like you call the cops you get you get officers in this situation to back it up like he he's running almost through like a checklist of what he needs to do oh, i can't get the cops i gotta get the fire department oh, i can't get the fire department like i yeah. gotta and then until the point that he's like in over his head and at that point he has that again a little bit of a naivete where he's having a little bit of fun with this because he doesn't know what's going to happen and you get that you kind of get a sense of what he was like as a cop that he like enjoys this like ramping up of everything. And Tom Holland has that same sort of thing, but he has it in a different way that he's like having fun, but he also has a much more like earnest thing of like, Oh no, no, I, I really have to get this done, which brings a different energy to it. Whereas like Bruce Willis, like seem more like I'm not afraid to die, you know, 
But Tom Holland's like, oh, no, no, I got to really, I got to really, like, get this treasure. And that's, like, a different energy, but it's, it's interesting. It's a different play on that character that I like. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I, I didn't even think about that, that Bruce Willis did kind of script out that archetype of that kind of character and actor, how they have to portray that. Because I think that helps kind of lighten up what you're actually watching because it's so kind of <laughs> fantastical. These are, and talking about like before movies, these are the movies I'm trying to watch too. Is like, I'm always like, what do I want to watch? It's like, I don't want to watch necessarily something heavy. Not that I don't want to watch a good movie, but <clears throat> I am always looking out for just good, fun movies. Uh, so I'm glad. This, this one I'll definitely watch since you gave it a, a thumbs up on the recommendation. Yeah, a lot of fun. What are you watching? Uh, well, so it's been a little bit, so I, I'm going to have three and I'm going to try to keep them brief. So the one I just want to do a follow-up on. So we watched Gilded Age. And, and yeah are you not a julian fellow i think i've uh fallen off the fellow bandwagon um <laughs> oh i i loved it so much what didn't you like about it honestly it was just way too melodramatic over things that are just not that dramatic and i <laughs> they everything was just the 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 musical score that they'd play at like the end of an episode because something they like revealed quote unquote but you're less like okay so he's getting sued all right he's got a lot of lawyers big whoop like um, I I don't know just I, I I just thought I was like well okay sure um and that's what Emily and I just kept going back to we're just like you know it's not like it's bad but it's just like what's happening here like nothing happens it's just a d- daily routine and a bunch of rich old white people from like a-, a century and a half ago. And I'm just like, I don't know where I'm supposed to like, I don't know what I'm tracking here. What these people think are, are so dramatic. I, it's like, I don't know. I, I love historical kind of dramas and especially when you weave it in and they do a little bit of that and, but they don't do it enough. And that's for me why yeah. I don't, I guess I'm not quite as enamored by it. And there's too much leaning into this melodrama of just the daily lives of the, whatever, you know, rich characters they decided to make up and kind of make, uh, archetypes from whoever is in actual history. A few people are, his characters are actually historical figures. Um, the, uh, Mary Astor is like the the socialite of socialites. And so that's great. And that honestly is some of the more interesting things that end up happening once she becomes a more central character towards the end of the season. Yeah. And I, I don't yeah. know if we talked about this, but I think I did see the one episode. And I think we talked about it for where I just thought Carrie Coons was, Oh, maybe not. I thought Carrie Coons was miscast in, in this show. Uh, I loved her in the oh. leftovers, but I just think this wasn't the role for her. She's much more, cause she's a theater actor, which I guess in a sense is kind of counterproductive to what I'm going to say is that like, she has a much more nuanced um, acting style and like, really when it's like, and that was leftovers, like everything was very personal and nuanced when it was this, this big outlandish tit for tat kind of stuff. And I don't know, it just didn't seem right. I thought some of it was miscast uh, other roles too. Um, so I, I just, it, it was one of those things, but not that you didn't, we didn't not enjoy it. Like we finished it and it was just like, all right, we'll get through it. And you know, it was fine. Um, questions of like, do they really just party until the break of dawn? And I, I was very confused yeah. by that at the very end of the Those, season. What else, what else are they going to yeah. do? 
I, I guess not. The biggest pet peeve I had, though, of the whole show was this idea of electricity. And while everything looked like it was lit as if I was sitting in my light, my living room right now, or they had a major film crew behind the scenes lighting everything, yet somehow it was only powered by candles, I, I, the, the, the dichotomy was, it was breaking my brain. Yeah, and there's a couple times that we had actually made that same comment because it would it would have to be gas lamps that would be running. And the idea, two things struck me. One, the idea that you have gas lines running all over your house. Like, you could just see how, like, things burnt down all the time. Like, I could totally picture that. Um, and then people being like, well, is electricity even going to be safe? And I was like, uh... Your whole house is a bomb. I don't know. Like, so I I do get that. Um, well, just because like in the kitchen of the the Russells, they have the brand new fancy place. And honest to God, I was they have light fixtures, and I'm like, oh, I guess this is electricity because they look so bright. They don't you don't see like a flicker, even if they lit the scene and fine. Like I, I get the idea of suspension of disbelief to make this look right because like I don't want um, whatever that Stanley Kubrick movie was where they just literally did it by candlelight. With Stanley Kubrick, what is that movie? Uh, Barry oh, London. Right. That was the movie. Barry London. Okay. Oh, anyway, right. I, I we don't have to do that. So I get that. But like the set design of that, there it didn't even look fake in the sense of like, oh, you can tell those are like flickering lights of a gas lamp or something. None of that. Like I literally, they were so bright. I just figured, oh, I guess this they do have electricity now. I I know we're in like eighteen. 70s i think and i'm like i don't think there's electricity but i don't know my history good enough of like when this stuff for rich people was available so i just but then we have a whole storyline with it later on and it's just i was like all right whatever it's like i chalked it up i was like i I don't care it's just like once something else isn't very strong you start nitpicking all these other things that's all it is and it's just a nitpick it's not a breaks the show it's just one of those things yeah no i will actually agree with you 100 percent, and i am a, a tried and true Julian fellow. Um, and I will make that the name for his fandom that the Julian fellows, um, you, we, we now have the new fellow of the Julian fellows, uh, Anthony Hudak. I don't know why they would make electricity that much of a central theme and not have done that. I can understand from a just purely cinematic point of view, why you wouldn't want to do that because if all of your scenes are flickering, it would probably get very annoying for some people. And I'm sure they did run different. Like, I don't think it was something that was done without thinking about it. I'm sure there was a creative decision of being like, look, if everything is flickering like that, or we have to shoot everything so dim, it's not going to give the effect that we want to have the effect. That being said, I don't know why you would have then this revelation of electricity in this moment that's supposed to be a huge awe and it doesn't even change the way everything looks after that. No. And that's and I, I will fully agree with you on that point. But one of the things that I like, and I think Julian Fellows does really well, is he kind of shines a light on the prejudices of the time and how the prejudices of the time are so important to these people that it informs everything they do, including the way they interact with everybody in society. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like you're watching these things and you're like, this is silly. Like 
you're a rich person and here's another rich person and like you guys aren't even competing to be wealthier than each other you're just disliking this other rich person because they're newer at being rich than you are at being rich and it's and it's one of those things where you know the nouveau riche versus the old money and it doesn't matter but then it's very easy to draw those parallels to prejudice that people have today and to realize that in you know 100 years 50 years sometimes you know even in 10 and 20 years these prejudices that people are holding on to that are building their whole identities around in a lot of ways really don't matter and it just ends up looking silly and i think being able to step back from that and look at the world in that perspective of being able to be like huh like i wouldn't care if i was rich whatever like i just wouldn't hang out with other rich people or whatever I, you know um it just is a nice is a I, I always appreciate that perspective and i think julian fellows plays on that um better than a lot of other people who do stuff and to make this point only because it'll come up later in something that I'm going to talk about. Um, I get that some things just hit for some people and some things just don't. And Julian Fellow, the way he does his period pieces from like um, the English game to, you know, Downton Abbey to this and, you know, other stuff that he's done um, just works for me like i find it entertaining i like the pattern of the way he has people speak i like cinematic way he like tells the story you know i just i i like it i really appreciate it so it's the it's you know it's the song that works for me all right well i'll make two points on that and we'll wrap this up so the the one thing off of the i i I agree with you that it was interesting to a degree of the you know taking a look at this wealth divide between rich and rich and, but more of the social aspect of it rather than, you know, monetarily. Uh, and, and I get it. And I, and I, I appreciate, I get what you're saying. And then it, you can use that as a kind of lens to view through other things through all of the decades since then. And even now you can apply that and how any, any given thing is new is looked down upon by the establishment and thinking that it's amateur hour or they don't deserve to be here or this and that. And I, and I, and I appreciate that. My one problem with this, and this isn't only this show, and I've, I've started to notice it on these historical ones, though, is how you a lot of the times have the older crowd, though, in the sense of just age-wise, always looking down on the younger people. And the younger people are like, yeah, but it's the fresh, it's the new, and it's like you're just so old and stodgy. But then I think, but yeah, but then you're going to be the old stodgy one in just about the next like 30 years. And so what are we really learning here? Because you think you're being progressive, but then you're still going to hold on a lot of biases that are really bad and going forward in the next generation that we're already aware of because time has passed. And on that idea, because they don't really address that. And yeah. I don't know how you necessarily will, except that I don't appreciate then this idea that all oh, the young people always know, but yet 
those young people are holding a lot of really bad biases that will continue on through the next few generations that we've done away with a lot of them by now, but not all of them. And we're still in that cycle. So it's not addressing that. And I, I started thinking about that, you know, and they do touch on some topics that are very good. And I, uh, you know, with having the, the black family and also showing that a lot more, which doesn't get as much play on a lot of these historical shows. So like, Oh, when she brings the shoes, when she brings the shoes, I, it, that was the best moment. I, I, I was, I was laughing and cringing and I was horrified at that. I was like, Whoa, that, that was a great, I, I agree. Like that was a great moment in the sense that just like, Oh wow. Like that was a moment where you do kind of call it out. So that uh, I, I appreciate you. Like you're, you're right there. That was a moment that they did kind of call out. You're not as progressive as you think you are. <laughs> oh yeah. And they didn't. And my favorite part about that moment was they didn't back away from it. Like that could have been a scene, like a beat, and then like done. Yeah. And they sat in that for so yeah. long and it was so uncomfortable. And it was so like everybody was just like like all the pretenses were dropped and you could just like see like people looking at each other <laughs> like what? Oh so I was just that was one of those moments that I'm just like, yep, he he does that. He does moments like that really well. And I appreciate it. Well, look, I, I just I, I think part of the problem for me, too, is that it's hard when you come from an established show that was such a hit. And I I really genuinely enjoyed Downton Abbey. And I think it's hard. And I try to be as objective as possible, but I can't. It, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you pull the baggage with what he previously has done and you have expectations of him to do similar things. And I, and it's a hard, that's, it's a dichotomy of creating stuff and viewers viewing things of like you have a hit and you did a certain thing, a certain way, and you want to do something new, but there's expectations that are coming along with it from the old thing where you're trying to drop those expectations or you're trying to, uh, you know, push past those expectations and do something different. But, while also somehow giving some sort of not fan service, but, but meeting them sort of halfway some way. And I almost feel he didn't. And, but you know, that's partially on me too, as a viewer. And I'm aware of that. And that's why I'm not like saying this is bad. And it's just not, it just for me, didn't quite have the charm that uh, Downton had. Uh, and I think in the end, and, but again, that just might be more of a me problem rather than a him problem, uh, in the way he did things. It was just, it, it felt like, he got a whole bunch of HBO money. And I sometimes think that's a creative impediment where all of a sudden you're given creative free reign and free budget. So like you can do all these wild, like really grandiose kind of spectacle looking scenes. And I sometimes think that's a detriment. And I think there is parts of that in this. So again, I'm not <clears throat> saying it's all bad. It's just, that's my perspective of it. But um, again, it could be me just carrying too much baggage from Downton Abbey and wanting that again rather than allowing him to grow and try a different story in a different way. So in a different style, it, that, and that's a big thing. It's just stylistically very different in many regards because it's a BBC show versus a very glitzy HBO show. And there's, there's just not as many likable characters. And it's like, it's very clear who you're rooting for in Downton Abbey. And in this, if all of those people get destroyed like there's one or two that you might feel bad about. Everybody else is like, they're not great people. 
which is something very yeah. different from Downton Abbey. And I'm thinking that might have been one of his impetuses to tell a story like this to kind of, he's got a sandbox that he likes to play in, but this is definitely like, oh, I'm going to move to the other side of the sandbox, you know, and try something different. Or I'm going to go, I'm going to go play in that dirty sand, that, right. that, <laughs> that gritty black sand. <laughs> Not this nice, fine pot powder sand. You know, that little more rocky sand. You're going to go over there by that busted bucket where there could be, like, shards of broken plastic. That's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm playing in this sandbox. All right. So, anyway, I, I mean, look, if you like grand, you know, pompous spectacles, I mean, it definitely fill, fits the boat, uh, fits the bill on that one. So, like, there's, look, there's things to like any, if you, 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 I think, Tony, you're in your kind of lane, you're, you're really going to enjoy it. So... I'll just briefly mention this one. So I also watched Death of the Nile recently. Uh, that's the Gal Gadot, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Agatha Christie remake. Um, <clears throat> I got to say, I really enjoyed it. This was just a fun, easy movie. I thought I enjoyed this better than the other Kenneth Branagh, Agatha Christie one of Murder um, uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Murder on the Orient Ex- I Express. I feel like he learned lessons from that. And I only watched that once, but I remember not really enjoying that. And I felt like it took itself too seriously as trying to be this big Agatha Christie current modern version and really like went too far into that and being serious. You know, Kenneth Branagh can come, movies can kind of be. I thought he kind of learned from it. And I actually think they pulled back from that and a little more whimsical, a little bit less you know, serious and they kind of knew what they were doing and it's just had a little more fun with it uh, while still having some interesting parts to it. So, uh, so it, if you're not familiar, it's just the Agatha Christie book. It's about a newly married couple on their honeymoon in Egypt in the 1940s. And they're stalked by uh, a former fiance of the grooms uh, and uh, they have a whole entourage in tow and people start dying off and Sure enough, Hercule Perot is there uh, as a guest, uh, you know, circumstantially, uh, and he starts to solve crimes uh, as he's wont to do in these situations. So it's not more that he finds the crimes, the crimes find him. So <laughs> don't, I think the lesson of all these movies and these, and these books really is don't hang out with Hercule. <laughs> he's not a guy you want to be with because if you do, you're good, good chance you might die. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I like this one too. There was things that I didn't particularly like about it. I didn't think the mustache needed a backstory. I was a little confused as why we started with the backstory of the mustache. But after we got past that, I was a little more like into just like the ride of the movie. And I thought it was, it was fun and fine. Um, again, like, different strokes for different folks um i'm not a big gal gadot fan of her as an actress um i just i for whatever reason it just doesn't hit my ear the right way like i don't you know like obviously doing very well as an actress but just her demeanor just does never catches me as being like oh she's being genuine in this moment it always feels like a put on so roles where she's putting like having a put on like where you know something like a a red notice um i enjoy her a little bit more and because i feel like that works with what's happening um but she pulled me out of this so many times where i was just like i was like oh oh um, but again, that's just, that's me. And I, I just like Julian Fellows 
doesn't work for you. Gal Gadot just never like works for me. Well, don't tell Emily that because she is a uh, Gal Gadot super fan. For her, her portrayal is Wonder Woman. So I, Wonder Woman, she was she was good because again, she's like kind of lying and kind of naive the whole time. So it's like, oh, she's just being very disingenuous right now. Well, I just found it, it was a fun, to me, it was just like a fun murder mystery and it played into the genre, you know, but, and they didn't, and they weren't trying to rewrite the whole rule book of like what you should do. And they just kind of played it by the book and they just get, it's more of just an updated feel. I thought it looked really great because they really went this high saturation stylized look to it. Oh, so right, I just yeah. thought it was fine and just, and it just made it fun, you know, and it used all these crazy look great locales to really just set a nice backdrop. So and that it was all it was, it was just a fun way. It wasn't like this movie is like the best version of Agatha Christie movie ever made. They just, I think had a fun, more whimsical way to it that uh, I enjoyed. Yeah, I liked it. Like I said, but barring those two things, I liked a lot of the side characters. The side characters were my favorite. The, yeah. The, uh, storyline with the blues singer and her daughter. I really yes. liked and her daughter. That's um the one from um Black Panther, right? Yes. That's uh yeah. I uh, forget her name. I have to look it up. Um, but she was fantastic. I, I see. I enjoyed that was part of it. I think I like the Hercule kind of his actual own sort of side story, yeah. and that kind of got weaved in with the blues singer and stuff. And so like that's the most part of why I liked it a little more. Cause then he wasn't just this know it all. Like he actually had a little bit of depth and like yeah. sadness to him. So then that, I guess why I enjoyed him a little more in this one versus the first one felt a little bit more of that. It almost was like Kenneth Branagh in imbibing himself into the character of like, I'm Kenneth Branagh. I can do it. I see all, I know all I can do all, but anyway, but yuck, we, we all love kind of Branagh yeah. sometimes, but you know, it's all good. Anyway, moving on. Um, so the other one I just watched and I just was uh, um, just finishing it up is Only Murderers in the Building. Have you seen it yet on Hulu? Yes. I, I still only have, I have two more episodes to watch. Uh, and But I, I up to this point, it has just been really, really great. And again, this idea of fun, easy kind of shows and movies is something I've just been like trying to search out more recently. And this really just hits the bill. In addition to obviously like murder mystery, you know, I, I enjoy that. I'm not as much of a true crime person, but I like how they're playing, uh, doing a whole sort of, um, uh, play on the true, uh, true crime kind of, uh, trend right now and sort of having fun with it while also playing into, the whole genre itself. So it's doing that hanging a lantern on it while actually also playing true to it. So I, I, I think it's kind of uh, a, a nice satire in a way where it's almost an homage yet also kind of calling out all of the, the tropes that come along with it. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that whole series. I, um, I had seen the ads for it and I didn't really think too much of it, but I really liked Steve Martin. So I tend to watch what he does um, and then, you know, Martin Short is great. And then Selena Gomez was amazing in it. And I thought the three of them together were very fun and a great comedy trio. Like, it's essentially the three amigos, only they replaced Chevy Chase with Selena Gomez. And I'm kind of in on it. Like, I'm with it. <laughs> yeah, it worked. They, I, they, they, 
they just kind of nailed it. Uh, you know, that's funny. I didn't even think about the three amigos because those two were in it. That's actually hilarious <laughs> that Chevy Chase got replaced by Selena Gomez. So, and it's all for the better. Yeah, so I was... I love, you know what? That, that's what they should do next is a three amigos remake with Selena Gomez as the third amigo. <laughs> I feel like that would get into some very problematic territory very quickly. I'm sure it would. I, I honestly, I haven't seen the movie in decades. So El Guapo. Um, uh. Well, anyway, so I guess I should also just start only murderers in the building. It's on Hulu stars. Yeah. Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez. Oh, it's pretty much as homage to true crime, murder mystery podcasts uh, and podcast overall. And, uh, it's about these three residents of a New York apartment building. They don't know each other. We're all fanatics of this true crime podcast. But when a murder happens in their building, they all team up to try to solve this crime. And there's plenty of twists and turns. And they, uh, you know, and it, they just have a great, great tone and a great balance of having fun with the genre while also, you know, sticking true to the genre at the same time. So, um, you know, and I usually don't like these meta kind of shows and stories. Like I'm very anti that because a lot of times it takes me out. But again, they just find a right kind of balance and tone to all that, that I don't get pulled out by it. And I enjoy kind of a commentary on what they're doing, even though they're kind of literally saying some of the ideas behind it rather than it's not even subtext sometimes, but they, I don't know. It just works. They do a great job. And I think um, for me, I think what really makes stuff like that work when sometimes it, it cannot is the most interesting part of the show is the dynamics and the relationships between the three characters and, and Mm -hmm. who's, you know, on the in and who's on the outs and what their motivations are and what they're trying to do. Like that's the most interesting part. And that keeps you coming back. So if you did not hang this on the podcasting world, if this had just been like a straight, these people discover a murder and they all are just interested in like, have this very, you know, tried and true, gumshoe noirish thing of like there's been a murder now we're gonna like we're tasked with solving it it still would have worked the idea of hanging it on the podcast just adds this like fun to it so that we we get to have a little bit of fun along with them but it doesn't rely on that for the story to work and i think that's the thing that so many people miss when they try and do like lampooning stuff is like if that relationship between the characters and the story isn't interesting, making fun of something else will not make it interesting and won't make it work. I don't know. That's my thought. That's a great point because the the three of them, it's more about the relationship and how they're building a friendship over this, over the course of the, the season. And you keep getting little peeks into their background and their own struggles and then how that loops into the main story, but also then how that's building out their relationship. And they, when the others find out about something or how they help each other or don't help each other and all those kind of things. And, and you're hundred percent right is that dynamic of the three and then building the relationship, which is actually the interesting part and in what keeps you engaged. And the whole murder mystery thing is really kind of just like the background, like the setting rather than the main purpose of the story. And that is why it's so good. And then they, all three of them obviously work well together and it's written very well. Um, and I, I also want to say, and I kind of mentioned this when I said it at the top of just like, I like finding these good, fun, easy types of shows, movies recently. And I think it's part of the exhaustion over how, how much is out there. But I also think this is kind of the prototypical 
prototype of like a show that shows like we're getting into a mature market of kind of television now, television slash streaming and the whole scripted genre really, because there's so much out there now that you really are starting to get back into like really niche type of storytelling. And I think this is about finding that and not trying to be groundbreaking, but just finding a good story with good characters and building it around that. And that's what I think this show has done. And I do think you're seeing a few more of these shows. And I think that's what I'm enjoying. If I look at some of the shows I like, like the doom patrol, it's a similar show. It's like they go on these wild fantastical things, but it's more about the, these random strangers coming together and starting to build friendships. And you're seeing that getting happen over time. And even though there's some bigger plot that's happening, it's more about this individual acts that keep happening that you see building. And it's like, I feel like, these are now becoming the good shows are these types of mature shows that understand who they are, what their genre is, what their aim is, and not trying to punch above their weight. Yeah. No, I'd agree with everything you just said. Like it, I, so. I'm interested in what happens next because I'm either things will get really neat and more niche, or it may kind of like implode in on itself. And then, you know, and that's fine. And I've seen, we've talked about, I think a few of these shows, how the season one is great and you're never sure if they can really continue it on to a season two, but sometimes they do and they surprise you and other times they don't, but it's okay. That first season's still there and it was still great. It doesn't change the the dynamic that way. So uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, so I'm la- except for my last two episodes of that. Let's move on in then to our main event. Uh, and my, my title of this main event was, is there something wrong with me? Because this, I love that so much. I was like, I was like, oh, is this going to be some sort of strange episode where we have to like critique each other about <laughs> like, oh no. Right. Is this a therapy session right. back at each other? <laughs> is Tony going to have to critique me and like, give me his, uh, his, his take on my, his perspective on who I, was, I am as a person. I was like, oh, if we do this back and forth, I'm like, I don't know what this is going to be. But and then no, I no 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 like like the genre as we know we're not we're not gonna get too deep here we're we're gonna keep it nice fun and light yeah. um but but with you know a slight caveat here so we're gonna be talking about here films or shows that frustrate you while being critically lauded or a pop culture kind of phenomenon or temple and this came back we were talking about a few different um movies or shows over the past few episodes and you know we didn't want to get i didn't want to get into deep dive about certain ones because they get mentioned but they kind of grind my gears kind of thing so listen we always try to be very positive on this show and even when we offer critiques we try to be like respectful and kind of uplifting critiques and also talk about what works with the shows even if we're not big on them like we did uh on a few at the top of the show so it's still going to kind of be like that except that we're going to allow ourselves a little bit more leeway here to kind of sort of complain about things that bother us about certain shows because that is part of it though when you watch shows you have opinions like that's what it is some of them grab you some of them don't some of them revolt you so we're kind of getting into the ones on the latter end of that spectrum that really kind of frustrate you and especially because it's about not understanding why everybody else loves the show so much and that's kind of more of it's not just that it's not that it's bad it's just you don't understand why everybody else loves it so much so that's kind of the framing here of why we're talking about it so and what what did you think about when it, when I kind of sent this out to you? Um, it, it's funny because the first thing I thought of was um, 
Like the the movie I thought at first was like, yep, that's that's the one that I don't get. I don't get everybody going nuts over it. I don't get the amount of like fandom around it. I just don't get it. Um, it I'm so glad you say that because that's exactly what I was hoping. And see, everybody has these shows that they see or films and you wonder like, I what's happening here. I don't understand why everybody is talking about this show. I'll, I'll start this off yeah. here. So the, I think we're talking about, there's two shows that got brought up in the past episodes. Um, and I'll start off with this one. So succession, I don't understand the, the rabid fan base about this show. I don't understand why this show is even really a show. I don't understand the show itself. So the fact that I don't understand like why it exists and then why there's so much fanfare over it and people go nuts about it. And this is like the next big HBO show. Now I do have some ideas, but I, in the general concept of like when I'm watching, I'm just like, why is this a big deal? I don't understand for me. And I, I here's what I kind of did. I kind of wrote these things out and I kind of did some taglines. I'm just like, this is bad people, bad, rich people doing bad, rich things, but not fun, bad, rich things. So this isn't like, this isn't kind of like, you know, entourage people doing like fun stuff, like throwing some fun parties down at the beach or going jet skiing with all your bros or doing some fantastical things that like you dream about that would be awesome to do, but you don't have the money. Like you're nobody's really very few people in those situations. Like this is just like bad, rich people. They're, they're terrible to people. They're terrible to their family. There's, there's a whole structure of trying to be a commentary on, I guess the ultra wealthy, but I don't, really see where you're adding any kind of value to that com- that discussion. That is kind of where I come down on it though. No, I get what, I get what you're saying. Um I think for me I mean everything you say is is like I I see exactly where you're coming from. Um for me it is that commentary on the ultra rich. Obviously Adam McKay has a very large axe to grind with all manners of like this this ultra rich sect from you know uh the big short on like he he seems to really be diving in on on people of power and influence and then how essentially corrupted they are um i think that's a lot of what succession is i think that's a lot of the appeal because you're constantly watching these people who want something never get what they want. And there is a little bit of schadenfreude there. Um, All of the, you know, kids think they should be running the media empire and don't understand why they're not the obvious choice. And I think that sort of dynamic and played for the comedy that it's played for is a lot of fun. Okay. Okay. No. See now. No. Okay. I. I have. I this. And I was like, I had to put foot down on this. Do not tell me this show is a black comedy. I refuse to accept that this show is a black comedy. This show does not have black comedy uh, framework to it. It. I. I refuse that. I. I. That is what people like. It's a very dark comedy that then shines a light on this sect of life in American culture, and I refuse to believe that because to me it was about being a drama. That's what this show is. This show is a drama. 
I guess that's part of the thing. I come into this, this is a drama that is going to look at the different dynamics within a rich owned by a fan. So then you're going to be able to have all these different types of personalities in here that then you can kind of use as um, caricatures of real life people and how this stuff happens. And um, composite characters is more of what I'm looking for. Composite characters of a bigger, wider system of the ultra wealthy. And it starts off yeah. like that. And, it, you know, you're seeing that dynamic build of, yes, this this family dynamic of handing it off, but then not wanting to. And, the you know, the matriarch, the patriarch doesn't believe in his his kids can actually save his legacy, of which is his company and all this kind of stuff. And but then later it starts to just get into some really wacky, crazy stuff. And they act very terribly. But then people still stay within the realm of these terrible people for no real reason that I understand any human being would accept this kind of treatment. And but then they don't really, to me, dive into why they stay around. Like, that's the problem. Like, it goes only so far. And it feels like it's a show that's here to show you what it's like to live in this lifestyle. But they don't actually give you the commentary or the tools to understand like the human psyche that's happening within this bad behavior. And I, this is actually, a, for me, a, a big problem I have a lot of Martin Scorsese films is I feel like they're almost just a, okay, uh, okay. here's what it is, almost as a documentary in scripted form without actually giving you the uh, subtext as to why this is not good. It more glorifies it rather than gives you a subtext to find somebody else who that you can find that is kind of the counterweight to all of this de- debauchery and this kind of behavior that you see in this certain sect. Yeah, there is a lot there. You obviously, this is, you can see, I, I get really don't, I get annoyed by this. I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> yes. To, to, to start with where we agree. Yeah. I think that you could go definitely more into the psyche of some of the, um, side characters some of the more employees of the of the media conglomerate um you know to to be like why are you sticking around i mean obviously the it's the money and the power seem to be the thing that really holds most people in that circle and when you're dealing with this like inner circle being a part of it having that money and realizing that right you're none of those people would probably be able to do anything once they leave that company. Like they've all been tarnished so much at this point. It would, it would be like, they're going to have to retire. I think that sort of specter of like this being the end of your career, this is the peak of what you get to do. You're not going to do anything else. So being close to that power, I think is very much one of those things. I think there's a couple characters that, um, are much more like open about that. I think um, the Greg character is a good one to for that sort of moral barometer as he like is coming into the family and is trying to understand how loyal you have to be in order to get stuff out of the family and who to be loyal to and who's a joke and who's not. Um, and then his uh james cromwell his grandfather played by i forget his first name cromwell is his last name um yeah james cromwell is also this like interesting caricature of power and how he wants 
like he also wants to wield influence and he also wants to wield power but he also has this like sort of hero complex that he's going to be saving things that he doesn't really do and uh, the other Alan, one, um, Cameron uh, from Ferris Bueller's Alan Day Ruck. Off Alan which Ruck. I'm sorry to like his name Alan Alan Ruck yeah and the Alan Ruck character also has this like moral high ground that he's trying to stand on until you realize he also is just in it for money and power and almost has this delusion of what his like he's no better than the rest of them like always has this delusion of like where he thinks his strengths are and what he can do and it is this there's a lot of entitlement that i think gets mocked of being like well i deserve this like none of those kids deserve anything out of the company they should all be like forced to go out and do their own thing but they all feel like they deserve it and maybe the one who has the claim to it would be kendall because it feels like before the show starts there was a promise that was made that he would take over the company but like i don't know i find the show very funny i find it funny from the beginning i felt like Roman is the one that you see the humor through in the beginning that sort of like right. keeps bucking against the drama that it's like laid out as and he's kind of throwing the elbows and then you that sort of starts wobbling the ship that all of a sudden you're like oh this is silly like he's the one that gets to tell you we're being silly um so that's I don't know that's just my take on it I really enjoy succession I've enjoyed all the seasons so far, but there are a lot of times that after I've done watching the show, I'm like, these are all horrible people, and I don't know why I enjoy this show so much. I don't know why I'm watching it. So, well, I guess that's part of it for me is just I I don't rally around anybody, and there's never any like they they start sometimes like you said, there's some moral compass to a few of them, but it's really skewed moral compass. It's not like it's like, and it gets compromised like that. And that's the thing that I love so much. It's like someone will have this like big moral stand and then it's compromised within minutes for like money or a, a, a chance to get one rung up higher than somebody that you got a petty beef with. And it's like, oh, that's what matters, not the morality of well, it. And the only interesting character to me, I guess, is Tom. And because even the gray character, it's like, okay, but he instantly becomes corrupted by just only looking out for himself, like pretty quickly. And I, I just don't, and like, I understand he's kind of like, but that, he was like the, the, the audience character to kind of get the lay of the land so that you could have like a, a, a noob in there so that they learn by being kind of like brought through baptism by fire of how you got to survive here. But I, I just, right. none of them. Cause they're all terrible people. So I don't latch on to anybody. I have nobody. I kind of, you know, have empathy for, I, I, I think they're all terrible people. So I'm happy when any of them bad things happen to them. I, the, yeah. the Kendall character, that's hold on to that feeling. Hold on to that feeling. That's the feeling I think you're supposed to have during that show is that joy when they get denied something. But then that, to me, it's like, but what is the purpose of my show with the show then here? Like, what is the end goal here? Because I'm not following anybody like in the end, fine, sell it and don't give it to the kids. It's probably the best thing to do for the company. So who cares? Like that's, I guess in the end, I'm still just like, who cares? I guess part of this is that 
I find this type of topic very interesting and I followed it for years since, since all that stuff in 2008, I've been like, I I've read a lot of, I've read some books. I've, I've watched a ton of documentaries. I've always reading the news. And so like, I've got a good grasp and I, this has happened before. I think where I have a very good grasp of a certain, um, area of life or a certain type of, um, circles. And like this whole ultra wealthy thing has always fascinated me. And sure. So I, I, I have a background understanding already, I think, going into this more maybe than the general viewer does of this show. Okay, yeah. So and, and like I, I feel like I have a cursory interest in it that uh, Adam McKay does too, So which is maybe why I enjoy his shows. Like I enjoy it. Like I, we've talked about this before, The Big Short and um, yeah. the his most recent one, Don't Look Up as well. And even the Dick Cheney one wasn't as great, but it still had elements of like, you know, holding power to account and looking at how they manipulate things. Sure. He's yeah. also only an executive producer. I think this was, he wasn't even the showrunner on this and I don't think he's, he's at best the co-creator. No, I, I think he's the one who helped bring this to bear and it's as executive. Yeah. Producer. So it's not like this is necessarily his show. He just, it hits in his wheelhouse. So he made sure it got made. So it, cause it doesn't have all of the Adam McKay fingerprints necessarily over it either. And that's part of like, I guess the problem with me is that there's no, satirical there's no satirical current commentary on it that a lot of times happens in his movies um where it, and you know then this is a very offbeat dark comedy for me that it doesn't fit in my framework of what a dark comedy is or a black comedy yeah so um sure. yeah I, and a lot of those episodes i'm just like what is happening here like they're all just going around bantering and trying to negotiate and it's just like i don't care like none of this this is all boring stuff and then they just make fun of each other i'm just like i don't know what's happening so that's my issues there's like i i you know it's a lot of things and it's a lot of small things that build up and i i, I do understand yeah. though that it might be because i have a bit bigger background of understanding this world that then none of this is new to me and so there's no new ground covered and so then it's it's boring to me right so that there is that possibility i also think this happens too is this type of thing is interesting to the type of people like they actually there's been um a couple articles about this how this show doesn't get as much viewers yet pop, pop culturally it's bigger in the zeitgeist than yellowstone is which gets way more viewers but isn't quite as considered uh, a hit or a you know a pop culture phenomenon as succession is and it is this east coast this elitist thing of the coast versus the you know middle america thing those those because they're kind of playing on, they're they're almost identical blueprint shows as far as the framework goes. Where a uh, family patriarch is trying to hold on to his legacy, land versus a business. They have his kids that are all want to take over the business or the land, and and they all have kind of similar yeah. character archetypes. So all this kind of stuff. Anyway, what I'm getting at is that I do feel like there's this New York elitist HBO idea to these types of shows that they just cling on to because it represents either the world they live in or a world that they want to be a part of. And they enjoy seeing that on TV. That's also something I I think happens. Um, uh, there's a lot of things that happen with if it's centered around New York, it gets a little bit more play than other things would, even if it's not as good. That's a, a personal uh, viewpoint of mine, I think, happens sometimes in media and uh, films and television shows. So. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think stuff said in New York gets a little bit more, I mean, New York's the biggest media market. LA is number two. Stuff said in LA is LA. I, I mean, there's the whole thing with the Oscars that, you know, 
the industry loves watching movies about the industry. And like, especially ones, if you make the industry look heroic, like that's the type of stuff that people go ape over, you know, like. And, and look, I, I, I'm guilty as charged. I mean, that is like, you know, that's fodder. That's catnip for me. So I, I and I agree. And I, and I understand that. So no, I, I am too. Like we, we like La La Land, you know, I don't, I, like La La Land, I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, this is nice. I don't particularly like musicals, but I was like, this is nice. But like, it is one of those things that people just like loved. And it like got so many like nominations and everything. And I was like, it's not a bad movie. It's shot beautifully, but like the industry celebrating the industry, like you're never going to go wrong. And I think maybe you, you, there's something to that about new york in the finance industry that built that town into like what it is right that you know you have these ultra wealthy people that could be like standing next to you because you're all packed in yeah i i i'd buy that i don't i mean i don't know like so that is my kind of own headcanon of why I feel like one of the possible reasons why this is has an outsized influence of popularity that I don't understand. But well, I also think I will say one other thing. I also think a show on HBO gets a lot more play because there there's a smaller roster and they have such a track record of like man, like you. you Without The Sopranos, you don't have Breaking Bad. You know, without the, like, Oz or The Wire, you don't have The Sopranos. And, like, they have this thing of being able to, like, really shape television from a very, like, corner market. And I think, so anything that's a hit on HBO gets a little bit more of a, like... Cachet to it. Yeah. There really is. Yeah. Good word. What are you fired up about that you don't understand what the hell people are thinking when you watch this movie or TV show, Tony? What was the one that you instantly thought of that you alluded to at the top of this uh, segment? Okay, and this will probably get us like completely canceled um, from the from doing this. Oh well, I've never been canceled, so let's 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 give it a go. I, for the life of me, and I I I liked Game of Thrones. I like. Um, I like other fantasy books. I like Brandon Sanderson. Um, there's a there's a book called Red Rising that kind of mixes fantasy and sci-fi that I really like. There's I've, I've learned to like the fantasy genre. For the life of me, I cannot stand the Lord of the Rings movies. I am six for six for falling asleep <laughs> through the Lord of the Rings movies. I, find I knew you were that in there. Overly long. I find them overly boring. I think the action scenes that happen are very cool. I think they're shot beautifully. But like every time I sit down to watch a Lord of the Rings movie. And my wife is a huge fan. Like for a couple of years, I made sure to get her like the collector's edition box set you know every christmas so she had all of them so that she those those extended edition ones that add another 60 minutes to the already three hour (laughs) runtime i fell asleep through every one of those movies and i always woke up at like the final fight scene and i was like i was like oh 
Cool. Did we win? Everything was just so overwrought. And there's, and I'm, I also, like, the amount of time that there's just reaction shots of people, you know, like looking at each other and how slow, just like plotting the whole thing is. I, I could never get into it. I never understood them. I never understood why the story was lauded as this great thing that it was. I don't get it. I, I understand. I, I got I to gotta be honest. I am very surprised at this because you're the one who is into fantasy and has read several fantasy series. And I, I, I don't read much fantasy series, but I will say I thoroughly enjoy the Lord of the Rings movies, the original trilogy. Now, I have not seen the the new three the the hobbit ones i have not seen those so i this is only on the original trilogy let me explain at one point of the hobbit we have at least a six minute scene where they're singing and washing dishes okay that's and i'm like i don't i'm like i don't and i know like See, I, I personally, personally, that's going to drive me nuts because I do all the dishwashing in my house. So the fact that then I'm going to have to watch a movie that then has a six minute episode uh, scene of washing and singing, I, that's, that would drive me nuts. So that's that that's torture. I And the thing is, I, I've watched enough movies. I know this has to be some sort of Easter egg and some sort of nod to the fans about something that's in the books because it's so out of place and it's so weird and I'm just like, we all get together and they eat and then they do the dishes and they sing. And I'm like, guys, I don't like you have not hooked me into this movie at all. But by, by this point, I think it's number like five or like four or five in this series. So like, I guess I'm the asshole. But like. All right. Well, I will give you I'll give you a little bit of background into this, though. So. Um, all right. First off, I want to say. So, yes, I don't read money series. I tried to read The Hobbit. I could not get through it. This was younger again in like high school and college. J.R.R. Tolkien, the way he writes, it's very extremely detailedly descriptive of everything that's happening. And like he writes about like the leaf and how the leaf looks and shimmers off of the sunlight in this forest. And like it gets into that kind of stuff. So like it's it was hard for me to get through. But so the original three, I think are good. I, I really think they're great movies. Um, I think they're fantastic. A lot of people do. They won Academy Awards. Like yes, well, I'm they won the, Best Picture. the The final one won the Best Picture. It's it. it right. It, I'm I'm in the wrong here. I just don't know why. <laughs> well, here's this. I'll say this. I did not like the first Lord of the Rings movie. Like I thought that one was boring because they were doing a lot of setup and a lot of talking, and not a whole lot happens. Like they just barely start the journey, kind of by the end of the movie. I'm just like, Ugh. but then once we get into the second and third movies, especially with those fights, those battle sequences at the end, I mean, again, talk about being a sucker for something like epic battle sequences. I, I, I mean, and that was, that set the bar for the next forever. Like it, you can't have a battle sequence now if you really want to be like considered classic without like that rate, but it raised it so exponentially high off of what we've ever seen. I think that's part of like the lore of those movies, especially those the last two. I get it. Listen, I it won awards. I I just fell asleep through all of it. And maybe, maybe if I rewatched them like on a wild amount of caffeine first thing in the morning, right after I wake up, I won't fall asleep. And then maybe I'll get it. 
but I can't. I can't. I watch them in the afternoon. I watch them at night, and I just—they put me right to sleep. Well, you know, you know, it's a, maybe maybe a problem was is that you know you were in your old place and you guys probably had your nice, comfy, broken-in couch that you could probably fall asleep on, even if like there was a marching band going through your uh, living room. Where you know you got you got a little bit of the new furniture. It's a little stiffer. Uh, it hasn't been broken in yet. You got all that nice air. You got that nice light coming in through your living room now at, the, at your new house. That that'll all help to keep you up a little bit. So I don't know. I don't They're very long movies. That if you don't like them already, I can't imagine you wanting to rewatch them. So I don't blame you. Uh, I'll give you that one. That's fine. That's fine. All right. So let's move on. So like I want to. We'll go a little back and forth here. So the next one up, which is the other reason I spurred this list, and I talked about it briefly, and I'm not sure yet if you've seen it yet. Uh, the Power of Dog. Have you watched this movie yet on Netflix? The ben- Benedict Cumberbatch, Kristen Dunst, uh, Jesse Plemons uh, movie, and Jane Ca- Champion uh, was the director. So have you seen it? I have not. I heard it was, I've heard it was really good. I remember it was not up. Um, I would heard the, heard that a lot in conversation with drive my car. Not that they're the same type of movie or anything like that, but just that those were two movies that I were hearing about at the same time that were phenomenal and people were really liking them, but I haven't seen them. So I don't know. I'm not going to be a lot of help in this conversation. We did watch Power of the Dogs. This was the buzziest movie going into like Oscar season. This was like the front runner. So I was like, okay, you know, and you know, like we've talked before when there's the buzz going around, it's like, okay, this was help. This is why I still like the Oscars, regardless if they're televised or not, is because it kind of creates a framework of like, here's some buzzy movies that people are talking about that they're considering to give an award to. But just the fact they're even being nominated and have buzz, I think is like, great. This is kind of like filters out like what's some good stuff that's been going on that the rest of the industry likes. I I watched this movie, my wife and I both watched this movie together and for the life of us, couldn't understand it in the sense of we get the plot of the movie. Like that's, it's not a confusing plot. Like we get it, but we're like, but why is it even a movie? Like, why does this story exist? Like, what are we getting out of it? So the basic of basis of this for me was it's a grumpy old dude in a bad mood because his lover died and he's alone and he's just a grump to everybody. And it's like, okay, like I get it. That's sad. But like, what, what, like then his effect that he has on a particular person is kind of like, why are you letting one person have that much effect on you? Especially when somebody else came along and helped you out a lot. Like it's, it's, it's confusing. I don't understand it. It Got doesn't it. make sense to me. And it's just like, he's a grump like, okay. Cause he's alone. Like that's it. That's the movie in a nutshell. Okay. <laughs> what do I get out of that? Great. Yeah. I'm grumpy. Sometimes I, I get mad cause I, I get over it and I get okay. in a better mood. I got friends around, you know? I, yeah. I, I'm, I, it's it's very frustrating. The funny thing is, so this this came out, you know, I, I, this came out at the end of last year. It's on Netflix, so anybody really can watch it. It's not it's not in theaters, and um, it was all buzzed about. There, I had a queued up episode of a podcast that just ended up playing on my what, earlier today, and it was a podcast talking about the Oscars. So it was like an old episode or something, and they were interviewing like two, I guess, film journalists or something, and talking about all the buzzy movies. And they're talking about Power of the Dog, and they're like, "Yeah, you know, it's okay. 
you know, it's kind of just being buzzed about, but it's kind of seems like just because there's not a lot else to go see right now in this general environment, because this was, you know, end of last year, all that kind of stuff. So they were kind of saying it might have be that part of that reason why, where generally maybe this wasn't be quite as lauded or have the buzz necessarily. And at least I felt a little more vindicated that maybe I, all this buzz wasn't as validated or as big as it felt. And there is a lot of people just like, yeah, it's fine, but it's not as great as it kind of the buzz seems to be. So I, I'm just baffled by it. I'm very confused. My wife and I felt exactly the same way. And the funny thing is she fell asleep towards the end and didn't see like the last 30 minutes. So she watched it and finished it a couple of days later. And I just asked her, I was like, so what'd you think? And she said everything I thought without like prompting her and, or trying to color her, her perspective on it. And yeah, so I, I just don't get these movies when there's no, there's no purpose. There's no goal. There's nothing in the end, nothing happens. And I'm just, I'm like, why does everybody care so much about this? Ugh. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah, I can imagine that. I can imagine that with, especially like that, some misanthropic character that just a day in the life of, you know, like this is the slice of life of a misanthrope. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, that was terrible. And I it made him more now than I did at the beginning. Yeah, but then like, but even him, he affects some other character that like, you're just like, well, grow some backbone or leave the situation. Then like, but she does, they, they do nothing. They just stay in it and they, they like keep withering under the, not that bad of a pressure. And you're just like, I, I don't know. I, it's just frustrating. None of the characters really clicked for me. So, all right. So what do you got up next? I don't, and I don't understand and I don't like uh, 300. I talked about this a little bit in in, in my mentioning of um, Gal Gadot and my mentioning of Julian Fellows. I think certain people resonate with people. I think certain people do not resonate with other people. Zack Schneider does not resonate for me at all. The ultra stylizedness of 300, like the, the way the story was told, um, there's a... Uh, a great book by Stephen Pressfield called um, uh, Gates of Fire um, about this whole thing, which I enjoyed immensely. It's it's a great retelling of the 300 from a, a different point of view. Um, very similar to the way this movie is set up, like that it's a lone survivor that's telling this whole tale. Um, loved his book. This movie, I was just like, this is terrible. And it, like, so many people loved it. So many people, like, uh, were quoting it. And, like, that style became a thing for a little bit. And I absolutely hate that Zack Snyder look that he does for that. I, I, don't, I don't like it. And I think, again, I think it's a lot of, you know, like for the people who like Zack Snyder, I think that's very much a just a, a kind of genre of filmmaker that I don't click with the way that other people do. Um, and I'm sure there's filmmakers like like Julian Fellows. Like I click with Julian Fellows much more than like I do with Zack Snyder. Like I didn't like Sucker Punch. I don't like Army of the Dead. I, I didn't like his take on Watchmen. 
Yeah, I, I'm not like a super fan of Zack Snyder, and I know there's a lot of them out there. That's why we got the Zack Snyder cut, because there is such a, a fan base of his that are manic about him. I am not in that 100%. camp. I enjoy some yeah. of Zack Snyder's films. I do enjoy his stylized look. Like when this came out, that's how I discovered Zack Snyder was when 300 came out. And I just thought it looked so different yeah. than anything that was out there. And that was part of like the lore for me to this movie was just the the look of it. And the, again, the things I love about film is this cinematic look, like things that you can only really do in film. And that's part of like why I like this movie. And, and it, it is part of it is the groundbreaking one. So that's why like I never seen Sucker Punch. I wasn't that interested because then I saw also uh, did he do Sin City as well? Um, he might have been an executive producer maybe on that one. I- did not think he did because that was uh oh that was robert rodriguez and for, oh you know what it was it was frank miller because they were based off so 300 the movie is based off of frank miller's 300 the comic book that's why i'm making that connection so yes, but it has that correct. same thing stylized look which started with 300 so that's what's interesting though to me about it too is because it has a very comic book look to it as much as what you would imagine a comic book would look like as a film at least in 2006, I think, when this movie came out. So, you know, and again, I think the look is really yes. what was captured the imagination of everybody. Like, the story is a story. I didn't know about the 300 story. I don't think many people did who ended up going to watch that movie, um, unless you were a big comic book fan and read the Frank Miller version yeah. of it. Uh, but that was, like, new to me. And I know there's obviously... Everything I hear is like so many embellishments of the whole story of the 300 and how a lot of it's not really matched up with how the historical facts are. I don't really care. It's a good movie. Like it's a fun action movie, you know, battles and armies and warriors. And what does that all mean? Kind of stuff. Like I do think that's all inflated. and It's not my kind of personal like sure, yeah. take on things, but it was not that bad that I was just willing to just enjoy the movie for what it is and all the visuals and that kind of stuff. This kind of breaks our thing, and that's why I was a little hesitating at the beginning, because it's not like I don't understand why this movie is as popular as it is. I get what you're saying. The The way it, that it was bleached out and then had the colors, like, really uh, turned up, like, and the way that they did, like, the silhouette when they were just, like, stacking the bodies and kicking them, kicking them off the side or pushing them off the cliff, I... I do get that. I do get why this made the impact it did. I, you know, you're right. You're seeing it through Sin City, and then you can see it now through many different movies. How this very stylized, washed-out look took hold. And Zack Snyder's a very, very good filmmaker. Um, just not a filmmaker for me. And that overboard, like macho, like ethos to the whole film i was just like ah all right and by the way it's gates of fire by stephen pressfield um that's about the that's the battle the battle is called the battle of thermopylae and and stephen pressfield is also like a fictional account but it's not but he does stick a little closer to the historical so i mean if you want to read this it's a very good book
So it would be more Braveheart-esque rather than more Gladiator-esque in the the differences probably. And so obviously with this this, this stylistic vision that Zack Snyder had, it's going to be more uh, headliney and grabby and mainstream yeah you know and but like that's the thing is that but though after this movie though like i sucker part then zach schneider came out with several movies that looked almost identical to this and that's part of why i thought sin city was maybe one of his because it had the same very uh uh the it looked very much the same um design language that these films are but like sucker punch i never even watched it like it didn't look interesting to me again it was more of just this stylized version of an idea of a story and i will grant you that like his stories aren't as strong and i've been disappointed by parts of the dcu that he's done i was wildly disappointed in the man of steel yeah wildly because and i've seen when we've seen it with the other ones too like some of the stories are just missing a whole lot of actual story structure that helps you care for the characters but they look looks really cool and, and so it's more the story servicing the look rather than the look servicing the story uh for a lot of his uh his films but if you're just looking for just some action he makes a very great action movie that looks really really cool so i get your i do get your perspective on this one though and like the frustration with it not you know his style not fulfilling on a lot of other levels besides just the look of it so i i get that and i understand we've gone through this with the dcu some of these movies it's you know yeah and i wish i think maybe my problem with this is i wish i liked it more because i i recognize that the look is so good that i'm like man i I really wish i would like his canon of work more than i do and i just i just don't and then i'm just like i'm just i it it annoys me that i'm like i'm like i should like this 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 hits all the things that i should like and it like he even i have a feeling that even if we like like maybe this is just like weird thing but just in the projects he takes on that i'm like oh i'm also interested in that stuff i'm like i feel like we wouldn't be that far off in what we would be interested in and then it's just like oh but this is not the way i would do that (laughs) but then there's somewhere along that that path there's a there's a fork in the road that you both take divergent path so right well yeah you know, you, so, listen again yeah. i'm touch and go with some of this stuff i enjoyed the watchman i know we've talked about that one before but you know i he's a, clearly a very very uh oh, specific taste yeah. and uh just not for tony so that's all right tony um so the next yeah. one i'm going to bring up and that's fine this is this started probably one of my pet peeves of just shows i'm just like oh my god breaking bad and we've talked about this before i i'm just I've never been a fan of the show. Um, It never clicked with me at all. Like almost from the beginning, I gave it some time and was like waiting. And then there's like a change happens in the show in the first season. And so it's like, okay, so we're like four episodes in, but okay, now we are getting somewhere. Okay. But then it's like more of the same throughout the rest of the series run. And, you know, I, at first I wasn't really understanding it, but okay. Breaking bad, like, you know, going through the third season, then you're like, okay, I sort of see where we're going here. But my question to this is for breaking bad always is where's the balance. And so I, I started to realize when you start putting these things in a list and you start kind of, uh, 
analyzing a little bit and looking into like what your feelings are towards them, I'm starting to see a little bit of a, a theme. I there's there's only going bad and there's no counterbalance for me of yeah. the good. So I don't know why I'm watching this because it's like I'm just seeing somebody who was good and just boring going into being very bad and now has confidence, but he is a detriment to the rest of society, yet we're we're cheering and championing this man on, and I don't understand why, and I don't empathize with him, and yeah, that's and that, that and that's the frustration I have is that why is he a hero? Like, and that anti-hero thing, I don't know. Just tell me. So, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, uh, now it's it's interesting because I got a little. I got a little am on on this one because my wife also does not like Breaking Bad. Nice. Um, she, she begrudgingly she, watched the last season. She's with the me second person I have ever, I, ever, ever met that does not like this show. So I have now know three people: myself and these two other people. Uh, your wife being one of them that does not like this show, and that makes me super happy. Yeah. Now she also has a very low tolerance for anything pretentiously arty or that she feels is pretentiously arty and when you get to you know when you get to the last season of breaking bad there's some stuff that they're just like hanging on shots for like 30 seconds that's like the bathroom floor and you again i can understand it gets a little arty gets a little silly um it, for me, to go back to your question about where the balance is, I think the no, I mean you don't know as you're watching the the film on or the series unfold, but you pick up very quickly that Walter White is going to discover his true power and his true like potential is in being this villain. And he's going to see this, like, side of himself that had never been a thing before. And soon he will become this, like, you know, Heisenberg. Like, the creator of the atomic bomb. You know what I mean? Like, he will become that terrible, terrible person. The redemptive arc is Jesse, who is a pretty massive fuck-up. When you meet him, if I'm remembering this correctly, I believe he's jumping out a window. Onto the cop car that Walter White is in a ride-along with his his brother-in-law. With... Yes. With Dean Norris, right? He's a huge fuck-up. But Jesse's the one who is trying to improve his life. And he... He's the one that has this like erratic arc where like he takes two steps forward, he takes two steps yeah. back. Like you know, like he gets involved and starts making money with the math and learns how to do something and learns but then also is like trying to be better and then he like leaves for a little bit, but then he's like kinda has to come back and then he's the one who is the anti breaking bad or is trying to better himself. So I think those are the two things that you're watching because Walter is destroying everyone around him. And the only thing you can do 
is get away from Walter. That's the only way you survive is to get away from him because he is really sucking everybody into this massive pit. And I think that's why the end of the series is the way the end of the series is because that's the only way you survive. And I, and I, and I agree. And I know Jesse is the one that's trying to go on the upward swing. And maybe that's part of the problem for me is that I just never felt like it was as earnest or as pushed as hard to balance it out though enough that, and that I think is part of my problem. Cause I, I do sure. recognize that. Yes, there that. is moments where he's trying to get better, but he always goes back in most of the time and he always questions it, but then he still does things that, don't balance him out and bring him out on the other side enough for me. And so that's, and and you even called it out. And like, I wasn't sure if I was the only one to notice it. Like it wasn't quite enough. Like it was erratic. And I am, I, I can see that he did try at different times, but that's part, maybe part of my problem. And again, that's where I go back to the balance part where if I'm, you're, you're doing this thing where you're going to actually try to do a kind of a character study of somebody who was normal and just average and then turn them into this super monster I, I need this other swing somewhere that's going to go somebody who's pretty bad and then comes pretty good. Again, it doesn't have to be that clean. And I understand that like you're, you're not trying to just make it completely a 180 yeah. each. And then you, like life just stays the same. Cause that wouldn't help things, but I, I don't know. It just wasn't enough. And I also guess, I guess the, there wasn't enough punishment for him for, for, Walter White, in a sense, that again, but then also there was still just a glorification of Walter White, which is one that fr- that frustrated me the most. Like people I knew were fans, they can't yeah. wait, and they got, they bought like they'd have watch parties and they buy like blue candy, and it was just like I don't understand this. We're talking about somebody who makes meth and destroys people's lives, and we're seeing him as like an antihero of what, of what, like what is he yeah. pushing up against that. Y- you relate to. I just, I never quite understood that. Um, I do want to give the show credit for like, in the sense, and I think this might be another part of the, there's a few reasons I think I don't like this show is that they did, uh, especially in the first like two seasons, the amount of tension that was created in certain episodes um, was to me unbearable. And so I give you a lot of credit to Vince Gillian for being able to create that sort of tension. I shy away from that because after a while, I'm just like, yeah, I'm here to enjoy something and try to experience it. But like, I can't, I don't enjoy that a certain, after a certain level of tension happening, I just kind of zone out. And I'm like, as I guess a defense mechanism or something that I'm just like, um, I, I, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this type of heart pounding anxiety while I'm watching a television show and he's very good at making that tension. So I, I applaud him. And yeah. if you, I got obviously a lot of people, that's I think part of what was so fascinating about the show in the first like two seasons, I, I guess all the ep- uh, seasons, but especially those first two, I mean the, every episode too was like this problem and he'd have to solve it. And he did it with science, but before he did, it was like, how are they ever really going to get out of this? And until you started learning the framework of which they would do it, um, it was pretty remarkable, but I guess I just, I zone out of that, I guess, because I'm yeah. like, I got enough. This is what I told my wife about the handmaid's tale. I have enough shit going on in my life. I don't need attention from a show like that. Like that is my general <laughs> philosophy is that yeah, I don't no, need I that. You. Like I, I only up to a line. Do I want yeah. like, like anxiety inducing stress inducing uh feelings from the television and films that i watch so that is one of those shows that did it so um 
And uh, there was one other thing that, uh, but uh, it was also well-made, like the the story, the way they constructed and got to A to B to C to D, all the way to Z to get him where he was. Like, I appreciated how they built that out. Um, So it's like, I don't think it's a bad show. I just don't like the show and I don't appreciate like the fandom over and the glorification of it and the overall arc in the end to me did not feel did not sit right. So that is my frustration. I don't understand where everybody else was clinging on to. But again, it's this bad people doing bad things, glorifying it. It really clicks with a lot of people and it doesn't for me. And that frustrates me. And obviously I kind of mentioned that with Succession. I said it with Marty yeah. Scorsese films. Um, so that is, I've learned over a little, semi recently, that's kind of a, a thing of mine. Uh, bad people doing bad things and not being reprimanded for it. And that that's kind of like the interesting thing about, you know, entertainment as a work of art is that, you know, there are just like there's genres of music that people aren't going to like. There's going to be types of stories that like you just don't want to hear and you don't want to engage in. You don't feel like there's any sort of like worthwhile thing to it, which is I, which is totally fine. Um, but it is it's interesting because like a lot of times when I'm reading critiques, um, the people aren't having this type of discussion where we're being like, yeah, I don't know, I get, I get why it's good. It just doesn't hit me the way it should or whatever. Um, that you get these very yeah. much like, well, Breaking Bad just sucks. Just sucks as a television show and whatever. Or like, 300 sucks. Lord of the Rings sucks. And it's like, okay, well, it it doesn't. Like, the, these, are, these are good pieces of work. But, like, you got to understand where your bias is coming from, which is, I think, is kind of the benefit of being able to have these conversations to be like, well, why doesn't this work for you? And it's like, eh, I think it's I think some that I'm bringing to the table, like, with 300. I don't like that that style. So I'm like, yeah, eh, that's me. I'm bringing that to the table. That's got nothing on Zack Snyder. and what Yeah, no, and that's totally right. And I think that's um, part of what we talked about at the top, and, where it's more about having a discussion and trying to articulate a little bit more yeah. than just like, I hated that movie. I, I, it's stupid. It's like, we're actually trying to look at like, yeah. well, what is it about it? A little bit more detailed of more some specifics. And a lot of times it is either you just, it doesn't click with you or there are specific themes or the way they handled it that really kind of rub you the wrong way and how you perceive things. So, um, but at least I think that we did a pretty good job of being a little bit yeah. more respectful. If we don't like something, we're not just like we hate it or it's stupid or it's dumb or you're dumb or why do you, you're all idiots. Uh, we tried a little, right. little bit more uh, thoughtful uh, critique of it. So, and I hope people do that going forward. Just being like, just take a, take a second after you watch something and be like, did I bring something to the table that makes me not like this? And that's totally fine if you did. We're all people. And that's like, the last one I was going to mention was like, I don't like James Franco as an actor. I always think that he's like acting like an actor. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to put it, but every time I see him in a movie, I'm like, that guy's acting like an actor doing this role. And I'm like, I'm not, like, watching somebody, like, act in a role. It's, it's a weird sort of, like, I almost expect him at any minute to go to the camera and be like, hey, <laughs> like, did you see what I just did there? Like, break the fourth wall. And I don't, but that's just that's just him and so many people enjoy him but like 
I don't enjoy Pineapple Express because I'm like, I I don't believe that he's having this relationship with Seth Rogen. I'll 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 uh, I'll second that. Uh, Pineapple Express is not one that I I've watched it again, and I was just like, this one's a weird movie. Like it's awkward. Like they're awkward almost every scene that they're in, and it's 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 a strange one. But he's done so many movies with Seth Rogen. I like Seth Rogen. I think Seth Rogen is. I mean, it's hard to say somebody's underrated when they're like very successful yeah. in Hollywood. But like, I think he really does do a very like great job in so many movies of being like this real charming, this real likable person and able to like pull focus and have this like vulnerability. And then when he's standing next to James Franco, I'm just like, I don't understand this. I don't understand how this is working because one of you has me really engaged in the scene and one of you does not. And again, I think this comes down to just like the way I look at people and perceive people because just like with Gal Gadot, where I'm like, I don't believe that she's ever really emoting what she's emoting. I don't think that I think the same thing about James Franco is like, I just don't ever think he's emoting what he's emoting. Yeah. And it's gotta be like the tenor of his voice or the way he holds himself or whatever he's doing. But like, I don't know. I, I think we all have actors that we feel that way when we see them. We're just like, I don't buy it. I don't, you're not selling it for me, no matter what they do. Right. They could do everything. You're just like, I, I can't. And, and then, and then you do, and you hear people, Oh, they were so great in this movie. I'm just like, uh, and <laughs> anyway. And there are people that I know, like I love Will Ferrell. Like, I think Will Ferrell is hysterical. I know so many people that yeah. cannot stand his comedy at all. Like, the way he does, the shtick he does, I, and I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm trying to understand you, but like, it's, this is really funny, right? And it's like, no, no, that's not. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Well, I, I think that's a whole other kind of side tangent of like comedic actors and comedies. And if you have a shtick and like what you do, because that's even different than acting. That is a choice in a sense sure. of, uh, you know, sometimes what you're doing. But listen, let's leave it at that. I think that was a great way to sum it up. Um, uh, overall, yeah. how we were looking at some of these uh, shows and films that, you know, in the wider scope of pop culture or critically were were very popular, but for us just didn't quite click. Um, but we hope it was at least, uh, you know, informative and, you know, uh, a good commentary and discussion over why things frustrated us. And like, it's good to have a discussion about it. If something doesn't like, you don't like it. doesn't mean you don't can't, you don't have to talk about it or not, you know, say that express your opinions, but you can also do it in a, in a constructive way and try to understand a little, you should think about it a little bit more like what didn't you like specifically. And then sometimes you figure out you actually like other parts of the movie. So you still can find things that you enjoyed out of it rather than just saying the whole thing is stupid. So, all right. Um, So Tony, do you have any spotlight for today? Yeah. You know what? I'll actually spotlight. Um, I completely, we were talking about uh, true crime podcast yeah. when you're talking about only murders in the building i uh i listened okay. to one it's called helen gone um you can find it on all the podcast places where you get podcasts 
Um, it's in its fourth season. Um, I binged all four seasons at once. I I listened to one season. I think it was like the third season, and then I went back and like listened to all of them. And the one, the the last season they did takes place in uh okay in california here not all that far from where we are it takes place in lost hills in malibu um which is not incredibly far from where i am and uh it really all the stuff they were talking about freaked me out and i have a special place in my heart for this podcast now because i would be up here working in the house by myself in the middle of the night and it's very quiet um out where i'm living in simi valley and uh i'd be just listening to like this podcast about this murder and i'm like oh man it would freak me out so much being up here um that it just i was like i was like that's fun because at the end of the day like it's a super safe area and like I I knew it was gonna be fine. I'd get in my car and drive home. And you're you're and you're not in the middle of nowhere. You're in a in a cul-de-sac in a in a very developed <laughs> dense area of homes. And so it was just like, but it freaked me out so many times. Um, so all of that to say, uh, they do a very good job of um, and I'm I'm blanking on the woman's name who does the podcast but uh, so what's the general what's the general story though like what are they so it takes it does one murder each season and they okay. do um about eight to ten episodes um so the first one starts in this uh, uh murder in the uh there should be an easier place to like look up um like podcast there is. I have oh, a website really? for podcasts. There is. There is. There absolutely is. We're on it. So each season is its own murder. So it starts with this murder in Alabama for season one. And then um, it's a completely different murder for season two. And the the woman who does the podcast is also a private detective. So she's able to go in and um, investigate and tries to get law enforcement involved when they need to and uh, does a really, really great job with it. It's the only thing that I have a, a problem with, and I'll just say this as a criticism across, and I find it mostly with iHeart Radio podcasts, but I'm sure other podcasts do this as well, there's so many commercials in it that it often becomes distracting um that there's there's at least three or four commercial breaks per you know 20 minute segment which is very much the structure of a television show so i get why they're doing it that way but it is a lot of interruptions for a podcast um, and especially when you have things that are roughly the same ad over and over again. It's my only criticism, which is no criticism of the people who make it. Just um, if I could talk to the people at iHeart, I would be like, could we not put so many commercials in? Like commercial block at the beginning, for sure. 
commercial block in the middle if you need to pre you know in a commercial block before the pre the next time on like that's all you need please don't do any more than that well you could probably buy iHeartRadio premium or and get rid of your ads if you wanted to i do not ever want to do that Catherine townsend is her name Catherine townsend so anyway uh it's the helen gone podcast helen gone podcast Catherine townsend is the host she is a investigative journalist and a former private investigator or i guess current private investigator as she is investigating things privately um very good um they have four seasons now. The last season takes place in California, near where I live. And I freaked myself out a couple times. Uh, cool. All right. Well, that, I like uh, circling it around with uh, talking about a true crime television show, podcast show, and bringing it back around with the true crime podcast suggestion. So my spotlight for is Warby Barker's, and I'm wearing them right now. I had an old pair of sunglasses, a pair of glasses for at least 10, maybe 15 years. But we, we, there was a minor accident that happened in our household, uh, and they got crushed. And <laughs> we were we were leaving a week. Anyway, they ended up shipping them to where I was, and uh, they're kind of great. And they're fantastic, and they, they look good. They have all kinds of styles. So, so I just went through the process and got them, and it was, uh, pretty, it was very easy, and it was kind of fun trying on a bunch of different frames, and it all worked out. 